uncovering the barriers to recovery and providing a supportive community. Part two, social determinants of health often create obstacles for people in recovery. In this two-part series, we discuss what determinants negatively impact the success of somebody's recovery. We will discuss what approaches a community can do to provide a circle of support for persons in recovery through the healthcare, judicial, and educational systems. This is part two of the two-part series. We're back for another conversation with Dr. Sarver for our part two of the series of Uncovering the Barriers to Recovery and Providing a Supportive Community. In this conversation, we'll be discussing how the community rallies around the person in recovery and provides the necessary access, support, and education to live a healthy lifestyle. Welcome back, Dr. Sarver. Thanks again for having me, Angelita. My pleasure. Before we dive in, let's recap what we discussed in part one on those social determinants of health and then also the primary points of contact of how when people have a crossroad in their life and they need help, there are some different ways that they can go about it and then how the community rallies around them. Can you give us a little recap from part one and then we'll go on into part two? Absolutely. So we were talking about social determinants of health. So those are the aspects of our lives that make it difficult to have successful care, including successful care for recovery from addiction. So that's economic stability, social and community needs, access to food, access to transportation, education, and access to healthcare. And we were talking about how these are identified and where these really should be identified in society. One of the major ones is in healthcare. It's either at the emergency department when somebody has a uh, emergency, at the primary care clinic, whether that's your pediatrician's office, family doctor, internal medicine clinic, or your OB office, uh, where you know maybe it's identified that somebody ha is having a problem with substance abuse, or maybe somebody is late to their appointment because they don't have reliable transportation. These can be identified in those places. But also something we didn't talk about are aspects outside of healthcare, which are points of contact, which healthcare is starting to integrate with in order to give more access to healthcare. So that could be the justice system. So somebody who is incarcerated, who is experiencing addiction, who is withdrawing from their substance use, we now have programs where providers will go in and give medication for opioid use disorder to get these patients stabilized and into recovery while they're incarcerated to make it more likely that they'll be successful once they're released from incarceration. In addition to that, a lot of times schools have trouble with, with children who are in unstable housing environments. They're falling asleep in school. Their grades are failing. They're irritable. They're fighting. They have mental health exacerbations and the school systems are overwhelmed. Their counselors, many of their counselors aren't the counselor that you think of. They're not a therapist. They are guidance counselors who may have some training in therapy or counseling, but are primarily there to guide them on their academic journey. That's why they're a guidance counselor. But a lot of schools are starting to actually have mental health counselors on staff, or we have physicians, nurse practitioners, or uh, physician associates who will go into the school and provide healthcare, or nurses who will go into the, to the school and provide healthcare as a point of contact there. So it's really an integrated approach that's going to be successful. With all that being said, Dr. Sarver, when they contact you and you're trying to work through all of that, who is the person out in the community you typically reach out to so that you can do the whole, uh, warm handoff 
to the community so that people there can embrace and support. What's that typically look like? You bet. And this is a whole community approach. But one thing that we know in primary care, uh, family medicine specifically, is that in order to have a robust system that will make it more likely that your patients will be successful in their healthcare goals, and that it doesn't matter if it's heart failure, diabetes, or addiction, all of them will need a point of contact who that patient can reach out to when they're having a problem. So when one of their social determinants of health causes them to be unsuccessful with their healthcare goals, they can reach out to this person. Generally speaking, this is a social worker. So it's either a caseworker, a licensed clinical social worker, or a community health worker who that patient can call and say, hey, I can't afford my medication, or my medication was denied, or I can't make it to my appointment because I don't have transportation. I don't have access to daycare. I have to go to work, these sort of things. They can reach out to this person and that person can then be a specialist in overcoming the social determinants of health. So a lot of models of healthcare clinics, whether it's a rural healthcare clinic, a patient-centered medical home, or a federally qualified healthcare center will have social workers on staff because they know that with many patients, you can bend over backwards as a, a clinician in the clinic and recommend healthcare plans and recommend medications, but you will never be successful. If that patient can't afford it, can't access it at the pharmacy, or can't go pick it up or return to their to their appointments because they don't have access to transportation. So with recovery, it's even more important. If they don't come to their visits or they don't get their medication, they're at risk for immediate death. So addiction, especially opioid disorder, is a deadly disease that's killing over 100,000 Americans every year. And we have safe, affordable, when you know we have access to insurance, affordable medications, which will save their life, which are life-saving. So what we need are community organizations, recovery community organizations. We need community health workers. We need counselors. We need behavioral health care workforce that can come together and contacts each other, has regular meetings about trends in the community, and will be points of contact for patients when they start to, quote unquote, fall through the cracks. When we talk about patients falling through the cracks, what we're really talking about is a social determinant of health that has made it to where they can't make it to their appointment. They can't access their medication. And so they've gone, in the, in the instance of addiction, they've gone and relapsed. So when you have a robust system that a patient can reach out to, or better yet, one thing that we've instituted is if a patient is a no-show for appointment, our community health worker calls them. If that doesn't work, calls family members who are on their contact list to do welfare checks and find these patients and figure out what, what is it that's stopping them from coming into the clinic and getting the care that they so desperately need. You know, Jackson County is so fortunate to have such a community of support as it relates to the medical, the mental health, the social services, and, and that didn't just happen overnight. That's taken some time for you all as a community to really come together, identify the priority, and to commit the resources and the time and the effort to really be a supportive community. and. How did you all do that? Like, I know that didn't happen overnight. So can you tell me from your perspective what that's looked like and how long has it taken you all to get to this point today? Yeah, it certainly didn't happen overnight. And it, it was uh, in the works long before I got here. I've been in Jackson County for about three and a half years. When I first got here, there were a few MOUD providers in, in the community. There was no 
OTP, so that's a, a opiate treatment program, that's a quote unquote methadone clinic. Um, and there was no access to medications for opioid use disorder in the large healthcare system, Schneck Medical Center, which we now have. When we look at what can a community do or how does a community approach the problem of addiction and uh, specifically overdose in the community, it's gotta be a stepwise approach. It's going to take the entire community coming together to be successful, but even just one organization can have an impact and really just one person can have an impact. And it's gonna start by making a stepwise approach. The first step is you have to stop people from dying. As I said before, over 100,000 Americans are dying every year. In 2019 and 2020, the overdose death rate in Jackson County was twice the national average. One of the worst places in America to overdose and die. So what you have to do is you have to start with harm reduction, reduce the harm from use. The primary driver of that in the community is gonna be access to naloxone which the federal government's done a lot of work in getting access to naloxone, making it over the counter now, so you don't even need a prescription for it, which is great. Unfortunately, it's still very expensive. Before it was over the counter, it was about $125 for a Narcan prescription, which has two Narcans in there. Over the counter, it's $50. That's still way too expensive. So what they need in the community are nalox boxes or naloxone vending machines, where people can just go grab naloxone and have it on them. Everybody should have naloxone. If you if there's a AED in the building, that's an automated external defibrillator that will save somebody's life from having cardiac arrest, there should be naloxone in that along with that AED. There should also be an EpiPen. Don't get me started on how expensive EpiPens are. That needs to change as well. These are life-saving medications where somebody has a medical health exacerbation, whether it's an overdose or an allergic reaction, where a medication can instantly save their life and it should be readily available. That's number one, access to life-saving medication. Number two is an MOUD program. That's Medication Assisted Treatment for Opiate Use Disorder. They have to have access to that so that they can at least get buprenorphine. It would be better if they had buprenorphine, naltrexone, and methadone access, but at least buprenorphine because that medication will prevent them from overdosing if they do relapse. So it will save their life in the future. So save their life now with harm reduction, save their life in the future with MOUD, then rebuild their life with a community health worker or a caseworker who can help solve some of those social determinants of health. So that's a stepwise approach. Stepwise approach is harm reduction, then a basic MOUD program, then a robust clinic that has a caseworker who can help patients navigate the social determinants of health that are preventing them from being successful in their recovery or any of their health determinants. Because my patients who are in recovery also have diabetes and also have hypertension, also have you know stroke, heart attack, heart failure. Mental health is physical health. They all come together. And a social worker can help all of those patients navigate those barriers to care. Thank you so much for that. You know, that will help people who are in other communities that do not have that support. And I think by just stepping that off from them, it's going to enable them to be able to put some things in place to start building their community of support in their own uh, backyards. So we greatly appreciate all that you have shared with us today, uh, Dr. Sarver. It's been my absolute pleasure. QSource would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. 
If you would like to learn more, please visit us at qio.qsource.org. Visit our website for additional podcasts, videos, documents, and more. In addition to listening to QSource Podcasts on our website, you can also find us on most media platforms, such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, and others.